This podcast discusses anxiety, depression and suicide. If you need support, please call Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. If you or someone you care about is in immediate danger, call triple zero now. If you're listening from outside Australia, please refer to your local guides. Hello and welcome to the Anxiety Shutter Hour. I'm Anna Spargo-Ryan. I'm Erin Van Krimpen. And uh, this is episode seven, unless you count the last episode, which I called A. So is this seven? Is it eight? Is it B? Is it a It's monkey? seven. It's seven? I'm okay. making the call. All right. This is episode seven. Yes. Do you know that every time I say my last name at the beginning of this podcast, it's different to the way I say it in real life? How do you say it in real life? Erin Van Krimpen. How do you say it on the podcast? Aaron Van Krimpen. That sounds exactly It's insane. not. It's, <laughs> it's, it feels like I feel like I'm not saying my actual name when I really? do it on the podcast. And when I listen back to it, I'm like, why do you say your <laughs> name is so that weird? <laughs> anyway, probably it is just inside my head, but that's fine. I've never noticed. Mm. I'm so tired of hearing and seeing my name. It's everywhere at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... I've reviewed so many versions of my book and the cover and all, like, the links and everything. And I mean, your Twitter name is Anna Spugger, Ryan. That's true. But mostly it's seeing it on all these documents I've had to read. Oh, my God. It's so awful having to see my name on my book and all of these document things while I'm getting published. My life is so hard. I can't believe you're openly making fun of me. <laughs> Can you really not believe no, it? I really can't. Like, isn't that the whole premise of this Sincerely podcast? hurtful. No, it's just um, <clears throat> it's like it's just such a bad name, really? and I'm tired I of like seeing it. it everywhere. I I I'm sorry. Thank you, thank you, thank you for understanding the plight of double-barreled surnamed children everywhere. I'm not a double-barreled, but I am a kind of a double-barreled. No, you're not. You don't <clears throat> unless you have a hyphen. Okay. Unless, a lot of people hyphenate my name. But have you had to, like when you say my name is Anna Spagarine, which you wouldn't do because it's not it's your not name. It's not my name. You'd say my name is Erin Van Krimpen. Did I say that right? Yeah. Is that the appropriate inflection? It's fine. It's, it's fine. Erin uh, Van Krimpen. Yeah. Erin Van Krimpen. <laughs> I don't know. Um, most of the time when I say it, people ask me to explain it. No, people every single time. Like, oh, where's that from? And are you like... It's from my anus. Piss off. Because that's what I say. (laughs) I don't say that. No, I don't say that either. I'm a nicer person than you. I just have spent so many years explaining why I have two surnames to people that now that I have to say it a lot and, like, read it a lot, I'm just like, that is the dumbest I can imagine that that would be frustrating. So maybe I'll just change my name for the purposes of this podcast. I'll be Anna Van Krimpen. <laughs> when I'll you can't get when I'll to get married in this country, so I can still change my surname legally to yours. You surname. could. That would be weird though. Would it have I me mean, that weird? I don't know. <laughs> it would just be weird that there would be another Van Krimpen in this country that's not actually related to me. When then people would ask me where it's from. And I'd be like, <laughs> I don't know. I just stole it from my friend. <laughs> 
Like, is it from is it from Denmark? <clears throat> is it from Maybe. Holland? Uh, <laughs> well, it's from Queensland, as far as I know. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. How have you been? I've been pretty good. That is good. I'm glad. Pretty pretty good. Mm. And so, you? I've been Nawewe, which is and you in Swahili. Now you're just bragging. Look how many African languages I speak. Only two. Only two. <laughs> no, I only speak two African uh, no, languages. No, I can only speak like five phrases from two languages. That is disappointing. I'm sorry. Ni hao ma. Uh, I don't know how to say I'm good in Chinese. I was going to... Well, han hao. I know two African languages and Chinese and, and ja- English. And Japanese. And Japanese. <laughs> and pidgin. And French. English. Latin and French. I know a little bit of Latin just from legal stuff. Oh, yeah, just from legal stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a lawyer who knows two African languages and French and Japanese and Chinese. I honestly only know phrases from all of those languages. I don't speak any of them fluently except English, and that is debatable. You definitely speak English fluently. This is definitely anxiety-related. <laughs> How are you, Anna? No, I'm good. I'm really good. That's good. Yep. Um, I'm quite unanxious, generally, most of the time, which is not to say I'm not also, like, totally off the planet, because it's different, but um, not anxious, very depressed, but I find that generally easier to manage, so. You were telling me before that you have an impending <laughs> sense of hope. Yes, I was I'm not that. sure that those are the words that you used, but I liked it and I chucked I, on it. I said I'm feeling the opposite of an impending sense of doom. Yeah. Um, which Erin has construed to be an impending sense of hope, which sounds terrifying. terrifying. Like In its own way. Yeah, like you might get attacked by rainbows. <laughs> <laughs> ah, but no, I feel... Yeah. Um, what would that be like? It would be like nothing because rainbows are just refracted light through the atmosphere and rain. Way to kill the joy. I'm just proving that I know things as well. Okay. Sorry, I don't know two African languages, but I I do know some physics things. I did year 12. Fuck you. (laughs) Me too. Good. Oh, I did year 12. I need two. So it seems like it's been a long time since we just, like, emotionally abused each other. <laughs> this is all coming out We were out quite now. nice to each other in episode A. Yes. That's because... Mostly. I think we were. I think we were. I don't think I, like, verbally attacked you at all. Not maybe. I'm sure someone will tell us. Yeah, and we were nice to each other before we started recording, but maybe then we used up all yeah. of our nice... Yeah. So all we've got left is vitriol. I got a little bit of vitriol. That's a song. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> yeah. Believe it's by the band Blue Juice. That's a song. <laughs> Just in case you don't know what a song is. <laughs> oh, it's not like you were an opera singer or anything. <gasps> you might not be familiar with this thing called popular music. That's true, I'm not. Is that like... Is that like listening to Cole Porter? Is that what popular music is? I don't know what that is. Oh, there you go. I know something you don't know. <clears throat> you know lots of things that I don't know. Please don't make me out to be some kind of elitist intellectual. No, I'm not. I'm not the <clears throat> one making out that you are that. 
Um, <laughs> anyway, Aaron's good and I'm good and we very much enjoy each other's company, as you can tell. This month, we're really angry about stuff, as you can probably like get a sense of that already from this introduction. Um, but uh, since the last time that we spoke, which was in October last year, apart from episode eight, which was an anomaly. A for anomaly. A for anomaly. Correct. Erin knows the alphabet. This is good. Since that episode, there's been a bunch of people just like doing bullshit stuff to do with mental health. And we've got fired up quite a few times about it on the internet. So, oh, fired oh up. God, this is just going to go on and on. Sorry, this is, I don't know how to control Erin. Stop sure. saying things that sound like songs. I really want to say something that sounds like a song and I can't think of it. <laughs> if you're lucky, we'll sing a bit of Tina Turner for you at the Simply end of the Simply the best. Der, 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 der. Better than all the rest. Der, der. Better than anyone. Anyone I ever knew. Okay, that's enough of that. Yeah, you're the best. <laughs> that was pretty great. That was uh, impromptu. I know. We did that. We were really good. She could go to an improv night. <laughs> I can't believe the introduction's still going. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about the people and the stuff that made us really aggro. Yes. Because there's quite a bit. And I want to call it episode seven fucking entitled douchebags. But Anna says that that's not going to get past the iTunes it, census. Well, no, it probably will. So we're going to call it fecking. Fecking. Entitled. Dick. Be- no, that's worse. No. Um... <laughs> Wooden canoe. <laughs> something. Oh, yeah. We'll call it something. Cool. So without further ado, here's all the stuff that we've been angry about this month. It's just... It's like a frog is trying to escape from your face. my mouth. I know. It's gross. <laughs> all right. Where should we start? So what made you angry? I'm angry with Stephen Fry. Because he makes out as though he is a big advocate for mental health because he has his own mental health concerns and for some reason thinks that that's enough for him to therefore be an advocate. But I don't think he's very inclusive. So this month he said, uh, well, they were talking about political correctness and clear thinking on this show he was on. We'll put a, a link to the YouTube video on in the show notes. But he was talking about the need to remove sexual assault from basically from plays and from other creative endeavour and expression and things. Um, And he said, quote, it's a great shame and we're all very sorry that your uncle touched you in that nasty place. You get some of my sympathy, but your self-pity gets none of my sympathy. He added, self-pity is the ugliest emotion in humanity. Get rid of it because no one's going to like you if you feel sorry for yourself. The irony is we'll feel sorry for you if you stop feeling sorry for yourself. Just grow up. I think it's a valid point. (laughs) (laughs) It's such an awful thing. He's just gone, hey, how about if we just erase, disregard the experience of all of these people who've been assaulted. And I did a little bit of research and the number of people, I know, I know. I did research before the show. 
I'd also like to point out that the only notes we have for this episode are ones that Anna has written down. And they just say Stephen Fry and then there's just like a big scribble. (laughs) (laughs) That's enough. Uh, Well, I mean, it's got us to here, which is (laughs) something, I guess. Yeah, but the figure that I found was that according to a study in 2009 by the NSPCC on young people aged between 13 and 18, a third of girls and 16% of boys have experienced sexual violence and that as many as 250,000 teenage girls are suffering from abuse at any one time in the UK. So in the UK, because he's from the UK, obviously, but the proportion, therefore, of people, young people that he has disregarded and has invalidated and dismissed the experience of is, I mean... Staggering. Yeah. And what the point that I was making in my blog was that you can't service mental health stigma reduction if you're not inclusive and if you're not intersectional. It's not enough to be, well, I have bipolar Mm -hmm. and I am open about the fact that I have bipolar and I'm going to go around talking about how I've dealt with bipolar And that's all that I need to do in order to be a mental health advocate. And I think actually it does in some ways demonstrate a shift in the stage of mental health conversation that we're at, where previously when he was a young man, Mm. it was enough to say I'm a person who is doing all of these things and has this acclaim and success and I have a mental illness. And you see that with other uh, celebrities of his similar generation like Mm. John Cleese and people like that who have similar mental health concerns who have been able to speak openly about it and be seen to be giving back as much as you could expect them to give back. Mm. Uh, Whereas now there's enough people speaking about it, I think, maybe that we start to feel like, okay, I'm glad that I can see myself in the media, I'm a you know, if I'm a person with bipolar disorder, here's another person with bipolar disorder who is saying mm. it's okay, I have it too. And but what are you gonna do about it? And what happens next? And how does that fit with the general conversation about mental health and mental illness? And I actually think it's fine if that's if if the extent of what he wants to do is is be a public figure with his mental illness and talk about the way he deals with mental illness. And that's all he wants to do? Yep. That's fine. Yep. Going this far yep. and saying this, and I don't know that he's necessarily said I'm an authority on mental health and therefore what I say, what I'm about to say about sexual victims of sexual violence should be taken seriously. But yep. he is old enough and, uh, like, is savvy enough to know that this is the way his words are going to be taken. Mm-hmm. To stop, think is what I'm about to say going to be detrimental to the mental health of thousands of people across this country Mm. and the world? Yeah, because, I mean, there are three things you can do. You can actively advocate for mental health. You can advocate for your own mental health and not say anything more than that. Or you can actually detract from mental health by being actively violent in your language towards people who have different kinds Mm. of mental health concerns or different people who have the same kind of Mm. mental health concerns. And in general, I have found that Stephen Fry is a very one-dimensional mental health advocate. He cares about middle-class white men who have bipolar disorder. He doesn't even seem to demonstrate an awful lot of understanding of different kinds of mental illnesses that people in his same demographic might have. He doesn't advocate for middle-class white men who have post-traumatic stress disorder or who have schizophrenia or, mm. who, you know, he's 
He's a very <clears throat> narrow focus. It's like, and I'm not saying that necessarily this is what, what he is, but it feels a bit like there is no valid experience outside the one that he has. Mm. And he's not actually unable to comprehend. I don't, yeah, I don't. Be on that. And I, that's disappointing to me mm. because I actually think that he is smarter than that. I think he's smarter than that. Mm. I don't know whether he is more empathetic than that. Yeah. it's a, He doesn't seem to be able to understand the experience that others are going through. He doesn't, he seems to lack that kind of emotional mm. intelligence about it. And this is, this comment is the perfect demonstration of that to kind of, it, it totally intellectualizes the impact of sexual violence. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like there's no, no empathy or understanding of what people are actually going through yeah. when they've been the victim of sexual yeah. violence. And so in doing that, he doesn't, demonstrate any understanding of the outcome of sexual violence in its relation to mental health. So he is saying, you know, everybody needs to understand what bipolar disorder is like and it's really shit and I feel like I want to die some of the time and all this stuff. But sexual violence and physical violence Mm. and other kinds of, you know, uh, especially gendered violence and things Mm. like that, um, they don't have a valid, in my opinion, a valid mental illness mm. outcome when actually the stats show very strongly that there are mental health concerns and mental illnesses that are triggered by this kind of... Well, and he's talking about self-pity and things like, um, you know, the, the specific examples that he's given, you know, are about feeling sorry for yourself and all that sort of stuff. Those are legitimate and valid. Yeah outcomes from people who have experienced sexual violence yeah. like like he's saying well self-pity isn't it's just not something that anyone should ever experience yeah. or you know dep- like that yes. like, well you have a very limited understanding of what the emotional and mental response yeah. to serious acts of violence exactly he seems to think it's a separate <clears throat> issue from the issues that he has experienced yeah where which is where the issue of intersectionality comes yeah. into it like here's me having a mental illness and there are people getting raped and the two things have nothing to do with each other yeah which is just a demonstration of his fundamental lack of understanding of mm. you know how how different mental illnesses and again it's that issue of understanding experiences that are different from his that he doesn't understand how they come about and that he doesn't understand that self-pity as he puts it is as you say a perfectly valid response it's such demonizing and an infantilizing language to say this is self-pity instead of i mean by all means feel sorry for yourself it's a horrible shitty thing that happened to you Feeling sorry for yourself is a perfectly valid response to that. And then the kind of thing that it feels like he's talking about in terms of self-pity is, you know, someone who was more of an asshole might call it kind of wallowing or like dwelling on it when actually a lot of treatment around mental illness is about that. Like cognitive behavioural therapy and those sorts of cognitive therapies are very much about thinking on it, understanding Feeling it. your feelings. Exactly. <clears throat> I think the irony is if someone turned around to him and said, Stephen Fry, we understand you have bipolar disorder and I feel very sorry for you, but get over it. Yeah, like I would feel more sorry for you if you stopped feeling sorry for yourself. Like just get over it. Yeah. If someone said that to him. Grow up, Stephen Fry. Just grow up. Get over it. Yeah. 
he would be outraged. But you can see his outrage in other like people say things that <clears throat> like that to him, and he has quit Twitter multiple times, but then written these really enraged blog posts about how unfair it all is and how no one understands him, and it's the same as what he is doing. And I just I'm so angry that someone with as big a profile as him, who does have a legitimate mental health concern, has and and, and let's acknowledge has done important work. Yes, in his very in narrow his, focus. In his narrow yeah. sphere. Like, yes. I think that there are a lot of people out there who resonate with his work and his experience, yeah. and he has moved the conversation forward. It's important to acknowledge that. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I think that's true. It's just there's so much more he could be doing, and to be able to demonstrate to other people that bipolar disorder is part of a broader conversation about mental well-being in general. Mm. Uh, and that's not just you don't have your mental health experience in isolation from other mental health experiences in the sense that they are all part of a broad experience that relates to how they're funded, how they're treated, what kind of support mechanisms are in place and all of these things. If we treat them all separately, not treat uh, the actual medical treatments for them, it's mm. going to be different. But if we consider them as individual experiences, then how are we ever going to get a well, cohesive... This, the way I'm looking at it in my mind is if we're all like cars on a starting line in a race... You know, depression and anxiety are already starting ahead because they, you know, they're the ones that get the most research and funding, all that sort of stuff. It's like he's wanting to move the bipolar car forward more and leave all of the rest of them Mm. behind when what we should be doing is moving everyone up, moving everyone forward. Like, let's actually advocate for the whole of the issue so that we can all move forward. Mm, And the depression and anxiety cars Mm. are very accessible and relatable. You have a high proportion of people who experience depression and anxiety and who can drive that conversation forward faster. If the other illnesses are part of that conversation, then they get driven forward faster as well instead of I have to stand here and advocate for bipolar disorder singularly. Yes, uh, rather than embracing the whole mental illness experience. And, yes. that's, and he's under no obligation to do so. Yeah. It's just that when he does things like come out and tell people to just get over it or just grow up, he's working against it. So he's not. he doesn't have to go and work for it. And he can, as you say, just focus on bipolar disorder if that's what he wants to do. Like here I am talking about bipolar disorder, but not <clears throat> at the expense and not, as a criticism Mm. of other illnesses that he sees as being less legitimate or less valid or in some way I felt that there was a tone in what he was saying of it being somehow not deserved but, like, if you didn't feel so sorry for yourself, maybe you wouldn't be in this situation. There was a kind of what you need to do is stop focusing on how bad you feel and just do something else. And I thought... You know, it's just, it's so unhelpful. It goes against all the things we need about, you know, if people with different mental illnesses are fighting each other, no one is going to move forward in the conversation. So you and I were having a conversation about feminism earlier today where we were talking about different types of feminists who kind of segregate themselves off and talk about, oh, well, you know, I'm feminist, but I believe in in this kind of feminism and not the more inclusive type. It's that kind of thing yeah but where and it, and it happens in feminism feminism as well where people 
are only interest not only interested in just bringing their particular form of feminism forward, but actively trying to stop other types yeah. of feminism as well. Mm. It's that kind of behavior. It's mm. that kind of well, this is the only valid experience. Yeah, and I'm going to cut all of the rest of you down because mm. I can't possibly conceive that there's anything else that's valid. Yeah, and that's about not understanding the different experiences and why they happen and, and oh, how And it's intersectionality, which, is, it is, which yeah. comes in in every major form of political discourse. Exactly. Mm. Or should do. Well, should, yeah. And <laughs> I think maybe it hasn't so much in mental health yet. And one of the things I said in this article was that people talk a lot about how mental health and mental illnesses affect everybody equally. Mm. They're like, it's not a discerning thing. Every kind of group of people experiences mental illness. And that's true. Which is true. But, but there are groups of people who are either have higher rates of mental illness or who are known to be more prone to mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. Rape victims is one of those groups. And then, you know... Torres Strait, mm. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders have higher rates of mental illness. An, an example that's always brought up is middle-aged men in yep. rural areas. Yes. And that, I mean... men. We've talked about this before. Men over 85 <laughs> have the highest rate of suicide of any other group. There are, there are pockets of either demographic groups or other kinds of groups that do experience mental illness at a higher rate than the general population. Mm. And I think that in talking about there, it's kind of this double-edged sword where in talking about how it affects everybody equally. Because we're trying to normalise Exactly. It. We're trying to say, hey, it's not just you. Every single group of people has this experience. We're actually ignoring the intersectionality of it. Like, hey, I have depression and it sucks. How can I incorporate into my understanding of it the experience of these other demographic groups that I'm not part of? to be a more, to speak more empathetically Mm. and to be a more understanding and better advocate for mental health. Yeah. And I don't think we do that very much yet. I think we're sort of still at the earlier stage of... Well, we're still trying to convince people that that mental health is a real thing. Yeah, exactly. So I think we're still back there going... Mental illness is real. Because my good friend ScoMo again comes out oh and says God, the, best, the best form of welfare. What is his problem? <laughs> it's not even original. He said exactly that about mental health treatment. And I saw that yesterday and I was just like, ScoMo, what are you doing, mate? You've tried this. It's not a thing. Just stop. Just, just leave it. Or, like, make heaps of jobs. But don't be like, hey, all you need to do to fix, hey, if you're on welfare or you have a mentalist or both, why don't you just get a job? Why don't you just get a job? It's a treatment for, it's a solution for his, oh, he's such a dickhead. Um, so, yeah, but like, anyway. so that, I mean, and that's the kind of discourse we're facing in this country where politicians, senior politicians mm. who are supposed to be smart and, yeah, you know, <laughs> Not progressive, obviously, but like supposed to understand the world, kind of thing. Oh yeah, this there's a quick fix for things. Yeah, there is no quick fix. No, except for chocolate. There's always a quick fix for chocolate. Yeah, until you have too much, like I did yesterday, and then you just <laughs> you can't sleep. For <laughs> <years>. <laughs> I was watching David Attenborough last night, just oh, really? full of chocolate, just going. Everything is so bad. <laughs> 
which it is. But chocolate enhanced that experience. I was watching Homeland, which <laughs> Oh yeah, you don't want to do that when you've had too much chocolate. <laughs> you know, like literally watching a woman have a mental breakdown yeah. go into like ECT and you're like, oh, this yeah. is this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. There are a lot of shows that have done that to me lately where I've watched them for downtime. And they've had unexpected mental health breakdown yeah. themes. Yeah. Well, I knew this one did, but I and I feel like like so I've watched season one of Homeland before, and had to stop watching it because mm. it was so confronting. But I feel like I've got enough distance from it now where I can watch it and appreciate it, and that is true. But it's still it's very confronting. Mm. Um, you're kind of like oh. Why am I doing this for fun? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Am I doing this for fun? Why am I doing this to myself? I don't know the answer, mm. but it's very interesting. It's good that they have representations in mainstream media, obviously, where they're helpful. Yes. Um, but, yeah, it can be a surprise. I watched a couple of th- I think I even in the great – I think I watched is the Great Pottery Throwdown. Right. Which is the best thing that has ever been on. It's like the Great British Bake Off. Yeah for pottery nice so they go and they go you have to make 10 bowls they have to be the same size well they go you have to attach these handles to these mugs that sounds You've amazing got 90 minutes it's so great so every week they have like a major project they have to do and they get started at the beginning they go you've got seven days to make a basin yeah like, yes yes make that basin it's so good it sounds like face off but like less cool like Face Off, the John Travolta. No, no, no. Sorry, Face Off is a it's a television show for costume for like makeup uh-huh, designers. Yeah. Project Runway. Yes, but exactly for like that. Clay. Yeah, but brilliant. It's so good. Anyway, anyway, the point of it was that yeah, there was like a surprising mental health bit in that. Yeah, like this person had a breakdown, and yeah. so they took up pottery as a you know. Yeah. And so it's it's very pervasive, and most mostly now it has become quite constructive i think yeah like the way they were talking about it was yeah. very normalized here's something that happened to somebody and so now this happens okay. kimmy schmidt recently so season two of kimmy schmidt yes have watched yeah so i was really surprised like it's the first season was so fluffy yeah. great yeah but quite just light-hearted and funny mm. the second season was still hilarious but Dealt with some really heavy shit in an interesting way, I think. Yeah. Anyway, we don't want to. I had. We don't well, want to give that. We don't want to give too much away in there. Uh, I had some complex feelings about this season. Yeah. I think Tina Fey is a racist. Yeah. Um, but I did think that there was some interesting, and I actually I thought her character in it was problematic in some ways. But we we'll talk about that another episode when everybody's seen it. Yeah. Because uh, we're like right at the forefront. Of we the, are like, totally culture. Um, yeah. But. I did think it was interesting that they had dealt more with the PTSD elements yeah. of it mm. where they actually addressed it because one of the problems I had with the first season whilst I enjoyed it was uh, how are all these people functioning so well? Exactly. Like they've been underground for 15 years. Exactly. How what they just go and get a job straight away. Yeah, that's it. Like they would have to be in therapy for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So I'm glad that they dealt yeah, with that, 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 that this happened. season. In, in a in a comedy show mm. do you know what I mean like it's not this whole tortured yeah deep drama yeah and I think that's happening more and more I think it's great that there is a place for mental health in comedy mm. where you go well, this is something like when you think about what comedy is which is you know a reflection of, of life a mirror up to society it is and it's nice that mental illness is now 
part of that conversation. So we should just become comedians. I mean, I am already a comedian, but... You're very funny. Yeah. That's literally what my job is as a comedian. Being funny? Yeah. Interesting. Do you need a dictionary? <laughs> dictionary. Oh, my God. <laughs> Please don't become a comedian. <laughs> That's the like, level of my Come to Erin's innuendo show. My favourite joke in the world is, why did the koala fall out of the tree? Because it was dead. Because it was dead. <laughs> why did the next koala fall out of the tree? Someone threw a fridge at it. Because it was stapled. Because it was stapled to the first koala. Do you- no, but see, that's my humour too. Yeah. My favourite joke is pretty much like about anything in that spectrum. Why did the plane crash? Because the pilot was a tomato. Like that. that <laughs> that's my favourite as well. I think it's fine. I think it's very sophisticated humour. You're very sophisticated human <laughs> It's anyway. the absurdism of it, I think. An absurdist comedy is my favourite. Anyway, so that's not true. I don't some... hate any of those things. No, we like. So those where I'm being angry, I'm trying to be angry, and sorry, you're talking about stuff sorry, I love. So that is... was that was a bit divergent. So Stephen Fry, there's yeah. more. We'll put a link to the blog post that I wrote as well because it says all the things that I had to say about it. In addition to all the of the things just I just said, said. Um, but that's the, Yeah, that's my general thoughts. I on think it. that's yeah. Look. I have some compli- complicated feelings about it. Do you think it's more complicated for you because you have bipolar disorder? Do I feel this way because I don't relate to him really on many levels? And because I'm a survivor of sexual violence, mm. you know, that I, I don't think I've potentially come to terms with fully. So, mm. like, I think, and in some ways I do agree with him. Like, I'm mm. like, because... And I understand that this is problematic, but because I'm like, well, I can get over it, so everyone else should just get over it. And mm. I'm like, I understand that's problematic. Do you think you have got over it? <clears throat> eh. Like, I'm is that a tr- yeah, mm. I'm, I'm not self-pitying. Do you know what I mean? Like, so this is why it's complex. I don't know how I... I don't know how I feel about it. I feel like what he meant by self-pity is not the same as what you mean by self-pity. Yeah. Maybe. That's complex. I, mm. It's not so much about the bipolar thing because I think he's wrong. Like, I just think he's wrong to go out mm. and say stuff like this and mm. be like, well, no, just get over it. Mm. Because what he's actually... When I think about it intellectually, I'm like, what he's saying is you have suffered a traumatic experience. Never you're think having, about it again. You're, yeah, you're having a predictable response to it. Yeah. And that predictable response is wrong. Yeah. Stop doing it. Mm. The way for you to get over this is to just grow up. Yeah. Like, that to me is wrong. Yeah. But it is, then, I mean, clinically, that is wrong. But then, you know, I do, in my other, in, in my emotional life, there are, you know, there have been times where someone, where I, ha- where I have felt like someone is playing the victim mm. and I have been like, oh, fuck, get over it. But, I mean, he hasn't even talked about what stage of the post-violence yeah. these people are. Like, if he's saying to someone who was sexually abused last week, yeah. get over it, Yeah, is that different from if he's saying to someone who was sexually abused 25 years ago, get over it? I mean, I people... Don't, I don't know that it is. Like, intellectually, I don't know that it is. What if you were abused as a child, you've only just come exactly. to realise that yeah. this is wrong and that you, you're going through the process of reporting and all that sort of yes. stuff and you're feeling self... Like... But even just... People process things differently. I don't think there's any situation no. under which you could say intellectually, yes, he's right, everybody needs to get over it, or even this specific person needs to get over it. You don't understand the context of yeah. it. 
who knows what other things they've experienced as a result even of the sexual violence they experienced many years ago. Maybe they have then had subsequent mm. traumatic experiences that have all contributed to this. It's not the same for everyone to yeah. process it and it doesn't take the same amount of time for each person to either get over it or at least to come to terms with it or to process it or to, to deal with it to the extent some that people it's might not. never yeah that's right i think the things that make it a bit complicated for me is because he's bipolar in the sense that i wish he was doing better do you know what i mean like he is someone that you I wish he was better at being bipolar <laughs> doing coping better, better? At being an advocate about it so because okay. in terms of you know what it was like when people when celebrities or people in the public come out and talk about having an illness that you identify yeah. with you're like oh yes finally i can see someone mm. out there in society yeah, i see myself reflected in yeah, yeah i'm seeing myself and he's saying these things and i completely like i empathize with that and i understand and he's talking about my experience mm. and for him to then come out and be have such a lack of intersectionality and a lack of awareness and a lack of understanding of the broad spectrum mm. of mental illness just makes me go, oh, I wish you were, I wish you were doing this better <laughs> yeah. because you, you could be you could. doing really powerful work yes. on behalf of people who have the same illness I have yep. and ever and everyone else. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, definitely. Mm. And, you know, people with bipolar already thought to be quite narcissistic and egotistical and all about themselves. Yeah. Hmm. That seems accurate. <laughs> based on your experience <laughs> that was that was a joke <laughs> uh, it was a joke as part of my career as a comedian um yes i think you're absolutely right it's the entitlement that makes me angry and the inability like the 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 inability to empathize outside your own experience mm-hmm. drives me angry i was gonna say mental i know i could see i could see your mouth like crazy mental mental. no it makes me angry it makes me very angry Mm. he doesn't seem to have an intersectional life no so probably a lot of this is that he you know if you look at his career it's been very male dominated it's very white people dominated he doesn't probably have a lot of exposure to different experiences but um what he should be doing is trying to trying to have those experiences or but I don't think he not, would even recognize what the benefit of having those experiences I don't would think be. he would think he was anything except open-minded and correct because he is a marginalized person he's got a mental illness he's gay people have had prejudiced feelings towards him and therefore and this is where the the issue of intersectionality comes in he's had those experiences and so therefore people should be conscious of the fact that he has been marginalised and so he can't be wrong about That's it. That's right. So I've been marginalised, therefore everything, you you have to take yeah. everything yeah. I've said as though I'm being inclusive of all other marginalised exactly. people. Exactly. Because, of course, I would be because I've been because excluded. Because I, I know what it's like to be, have, exactly. be prejudiced against. So, exactly. Yeah. I know what it's like to be excluded, therefore I'm inclusive, which just isn't true. You can be a person who has multiple kinds of experience multiple kinds of prejudice and still be an exclusatory asshole if there's just there's it's not a it it's not a qualification for being inclusive it doesn't automatically make you inclusive and i think that's part of why i was so angry about this it's like dude you have at least two kinds of kind of broad marginalization working against you and yet you're actively expressing that same sort of marginalization towards this other group Hmm. which I found to be very aggravating. I concur. <laughs> Good. 
Shall we move on to the other thing that makes you angry? Yeah. After thing like three hours. Plural? In. No, because Scott Morrison can just piss off. We've I'm already scrib- talked about. I him. know. I'm scribbling him out. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, this like, notepad like voodoo, is like and a voodoo doll, life. and he's actually right now turning into a squiggly black line. Fuck off, Scott Morrison. So I'm angry with Guy Pierce, which makes me feel bad because it's well intentioned, and Guy Pierce seems to be quite a nice gent. Um, but I'm a bit tired of money and opportunity being wasted. So Beyond Blue several years ago, I think two years ago, but it might be three years ago, had this anxiety campaign with Ben Mendelsohn where he was basically a, you know, a physical manifestation of anxiety. And at the time I was angry about it because I felt like it was exclusive to people who didn't know they had anxiety yet. It was sort of a campaign built around you feel like this and you don't know why we can tell you why it's because you have anxiety and it's therefore it didn't include people who already knew they had anxiety and had chronic issues they were trying to manage, which it can't do everything. So that was mostly me having a rant, but what they've done now is released a new campaign with Guy Pearce, which is pretty much exactly the same. It's still, this is what anxiety is. It's targeted to people who have anxiety, I think, more than people who don't have it but need to understand what it is. It sort of has that diagnostic element to it where it's like, you know, anxiety is your heart racing, anxiety is your sweaty palms, anxiety is when you feel this for no reason and that kind of thing. And so to me it feels like maybe we haven't moved that far forward in three years. And also that there was an opportunity to expand on what we, the conversation we were having about anxiety instead of some of the, some of the copy for some of the script is exactly the same as the Ben Mendelsohn campaign. And to their credit, there are other videos associated with it that are personal experience. They have some little kind of Vox Pops with people who have anxiety where they talk about their own experience, but it's still it's still to relate to people who may not know they have anxiety yet. And part of the context of this was that last week there was this study that came out that Beyond Blue reported on that everybody was really upset about, which was that I think it was something like 15 or 20% of people, maybe less than that even, don't believe anxiety is a legitimate condition. Young people as well. It was young people. The first thing I thought when I saw that was fuck those people. But then I thought that means that 80 to 85% of people either think that it is legitimate or at least don't actively think that it's not legitimate because there was a portion of those who were. I don't know. What that means is that awareness of anxiety is fairly prevalent. Yes. You know, it's fairly, it has reached quite far where if you go to 10 people in the street Eight of them are not going to say to you, anxiety's not real. So maybe actually we have enough awareness for now. And actually Helen Razor wrote a really good piece about this and it's about why awareness is worthless. Yeah. We don't at the moment need Beyond Blue to be spending their limited budget. There's not a lot of money for mental health. Is this the best way of spending it? How does it actually help the people who already have anxiety Mm. and other mental illnesses and are already trying to manage them? Where actually what I need is not Guy Pearce going, anxiety's really bad, but some way of getting help for my anxiety. Or, you know, at the moment where uh, we're spending a lot of money on supporting my partner's physical ailment, chronic condition, and I don't have money left over to do my own mental health support, Mm. 
it, how is Guy Pierce helping with that? And it just felt like it felt quite tokenistic. Yeah. It felt like a publicity stunt. Like we'll put a celebrity on it who will, you know, make brooding sounds about what anxiety is like instead of actually how can we put this money into something that is going to make a difference to people who are already living with this, who have already identified it from the last campaign we did. They've had three years to identify whether or not they have anxiety. We've had three years of people learning about whether or not anxiety is a real thing. And as we talked about before, that has also been brought more and more into mainstream media. So there are lots of different ways that people have been able to better understand anxiety. What are you going to do next? And if what you're going to do next is more of the same as what you've already done, that's not progress. Yeah. So there's two things here for me. The first one is when you've already said it, it suggests that people don't already know You've identified the statistics and stuff. And I'm thinking, so I'm looking at it, I'm like, wow, this would really have helped me when I was 16. Yeah. And I didn't know what these feelings were. And no one around me could tell me what they were either. Yeah. And even when I went to the doctor and said, this is what I'm experiencing, they're like, it's probably a panic attack. Yeah. There's nothing we can do for you. Calm down. Just um, get over it. That's just stop being, just say. stop stressing about the fact that you're in grade 12 and your parents are fighting every night and your dad is being horrible to you. Like, mm. you know, just forget all about that. I don't that. really understand why you were even having panic attacks. Don't panic. It's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right. Um, but now I feel like if you were 16 and experiencing those things, you could talk, if you talked to more than one person, someone mm. would be able to say, oh, I wonder mm. if maybe what you're experiencing is mental health related. Not even necessarily just anxiety. Yeah. But if you were to say to someone, I get sweaty palms and my heart races and I just feel like I'm really overwhelmed. Yeah. Someone would say to you, that sounds like a mental health kind even of thing. Even just that you sound stressed. <clears throat> you sound, it's not, it doesn't sound like you have a physical ailment yeah. necessarily. Um, so have you maybe, considered yeah, that it could have be you mental? considered this and then you could go on the internet and Google it mm. and get a good sense of where it was. You could go to a doctor, you know, like we're not at the point where we need people pointing out what the symptoms are because mm. or, people can see the symptoms. They, there's enough awareness about it mm. that there's a lot of information about anxiety around, yeah. which isn't to say that everybody has access to it, No, but it is prevalent enough that the vast majority of people know what it's about. Yeah. So the second part of this for me is, and I, I've just watched the thing you showed it to me, mm. and, but I understand. While I was shouting. While you were shouting, that's great. Yeah. One of the things that seems to have come out with it is that Guy Pearce has said that himself that he's experienced anxiety. He, he said he's experienced it early in his career. Right, It's okay. a past anxiety for him <clears throat> by the sound of okay. it. He's a former anxiety sufferer. So... And so that just raises the question for me, is this, when you were talking about the money and the expense and the use of this kind of thing as a publicity stunt or as a, as a way to get publicity, is this even the best way to use Guy Pearce's experience? Mm. And I don't think it is. No, I don't think it is either. Well, I, think it's a, I think it's a waste. I think you could have a, a, an interesting, nuanced conversation with him mm. about how he came to notice it. What did mm. he do about it? What would he recommend to people who were doing about mm. it? Do you know what I mean? And and build that into a campaign. Yep. 
and use it as a way as a way for agitating for funding and do you know what I mean like yeah definitely there are ways you know law reform like there are ways that you could use this experience in a much broader thing rather than just awareness Mm, and that's what advocacy is Mm. it's not just saying here's a thing that exists and that's what we were saying before where previously it might have been okay to say I'm a person with bipolar disorder and that's the extent of the contribution and Mm. that's enough which it on a an individual level is Mm. people can contribute whatever they feel like they can and that might be nothing but in a broader conversational sense saying here's a thing that exists is not actually action yeah um and the point that you made about what happens next is the really important thing because as far as these campaigns demonstrate there isn't a next (laughs) none of them talk about once you've identified that this is an issue that you might have, here's what you need to do now. Here's how things can help you. Here's how you can get support. Here's the language you need to know. Here are places you can go. And It's not part of the campaign. You have to find how, that information on your own. And here's how it might feel when you've been doing it. Do you know what I mean? Like where's mm. the ad that says... Yeah. I've been to hospital ten times mm. and no one can help me. Yeah. You know. Even just, the, like, if these campaigns are just, here's what anxiety feels like, what does treated anxiety feel like? Yeah. Like, uh, yes, I have identified I have anxiety and I've gone and found the other information on my own. Yeah. Like, now I can go and speak to a, my GP and then I can speak to a psychologist mm. or a psychiatrist or whatever I'm doing. Then what happens? Yeah. And this is the issue I have with the first one, what's that there's no visible support for chronic mental illness. Yeah. So I think what I want want to come out of this is, and and maybe it's because advocacy in the mental health space is still relatively new. So I'm thinking about so I um, some of what I do in my day job is um, policy advice and law reform, mm. and so I'm thinking about the kind of things we use case studies for. Yeah. So where we've had a client have had a particular experience and we use that experience or an amalgamation of experiences and put it in a law reform submission and say, this is what you're planning to do. Mm. This is what we think, like this is a, an example of what the current policy, mm. this is what we think you should do. Like I don't, and I don't know, like I'm not in the mental health space and maybe this is happening, but certainly um, in the public sphere, I don't, I don't see enough of that. Like, what is actually being done in terms of the advocacy and the funding and that sort mm. of stuff? Because there can be powerful publicity. They can be powerful publicity tools in and of themselves. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, tweeting, we put together this submission using this case study, advocating for this. Mm. This is what is beyond. If Beyond Blue said to said, this is what we've done, this mm. is what we've said, this is what we're advocating for, yeah. that would mean so much more to me mm. than Guy Pearce well, saying... And they do do that. Mm. Like Beyond Blue do do good yeah. work as well, but the stuff that gets the most coverage... And that's what I mean. Is this kind of, yeah, so if it, like you were saying before, if you could use Guy Pearce as the mechanism for getting yes. this out, but in a different way, yes. isn't that more valuable? Because it's not. Because at the moment, what is government going to... They're going to be like... Yeah, they go, oh, yeah. What do you want me to do with this? Cool. Now what happens? There's no tactical response to any mental I don't, I don't know. Maybe it is happening. Maybe it is but happening. It shouldn't but it's just happening think... in, in secret. Yeah. You know, I... it need, this is the stuff that people like us can look to and go, 
reform is happening, change is happening. There will be, there are reasons why the government might reflect on what's been happening and say, actually, we do need to stop taking money away from it. Not even just give more money, but stop moving it to other places and taking it away from mental health support and actually do something. Mm. Because I think it's like we've talked about before about how the similarities between mental illness and violence against women and where we talk about how terrible it is and how unsupported it is, but there's very little yet about what should actually happen. Like... Well, I mean, except that now the Royal Commission Family Violence... Yes, and that's what I mean. with 2,000 pages and 200 recommendations has come out. And it's taken a long time to get to something like that, which is actually, here's what we're going to do, not... Here's what, you know, like, oh, all this stuff is people have anxiety. And but, so the but question actually, then is what is the crisis point for mental health? <clears throat> I don't, I mean, like, what, what is it? One person dies by suicide in Australia every 11 hours or something? One, one in three people will experience it over the course of their lifetime. One in yeah. five people at any one given time. Mm. I don't know. It seems pretty important to I me. I read a horrifying bipolar stat the other day that was like 40% of people with bipolar disorder will suicide. Yeah. Like it's it's very terrifying stuff. Uh, At one stage, it was up to eighty percent. That's just horrific. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know because you know, are we ever going to get a royal commission into mental health? I don't know. Like, it's certainly not. What would they even talk about? It's not. Well, I think it would be it would be like it was with the Family Advisory Royal Commission, which is what is it about the system that's failing? Mm. And like the Family Violence Royal Commission, I think they will find. And it's almost everything. Well, and I think part of the problem is that it is almost it. Whether we were talking about before about how all groups of people experience mental health and what they're doing in saying that is basically absolving themselves of any systemic issues with mm. it. Like how can we ever be expected to manage this if but it affects I, literally every single I person? Think I think you can get that kind of support for family violence, which has the same, had up mm. until recently, the same feel about it. Yeah. It happens everywhere. It happens personal. It happens behind closed doors. Yeah. And, you know, it's not anyone else's business. If we can get that mm. for family violence. And I hope that podcasts like ours and conversations like ours mm. and writing and the things that we do mm. starts building momentum mm. towards this. But I don't know how much more serious it needs to get. Yeah. Like it's already <laughs> extremely dire. I don't know. Yeah, like you said, I don't know what the crisis point, where the tipping point is, where they go, hey, we need to do something about because this. Because it's already more than one person a week dying from mental health issues. It's like one person every half a day. So I think six, maybe. And that's just a function of us having a small population. Mm. The percentage of people that die by suicide is so much higher than it should be. And it's because, yeah, there are no literal <clears throat> tactical things happening. It's mm. just this kind of awareness. Oh, it's so and sad. so, you know, we don't want to criticise Beyond Blue because I think it's just a – we love Beyond Blue and we think that they do they do an important job um, in this society. But this ad is an example of a broader systemic problem, which is that – it's the mental service. health conversation hasn't moved beyond yeah. awareness and trying to convince people that it's real. Mm. But it has moved beyond that. We are beyond that. In terms of where the public is at, or if it's not, then we need to be leading it towards well, that. The and, be, that. And 
Beyond Blue should be the organisation that is leading it beyond that. Yeah. Like, if there's going to be an organisation mm. that does it, yeah. it would be Beyond Blue. You know, but, I mean, there, there are satellite organisations that are doing good work as well that are trying to get into that space, I think, but there is this misconception and the figures don't support it that most people still don't know what mental illness is or mm. it's real, which <clears throat> would have been true probably a decade ago but it isn't now what are you gonna do next yeah what's next if they are working on that see the organizations are working on what's next can you tell us mm. can you make it public can you not keep doing things that are aimed at and like if you think that that's necessary then keep doing it but also give us that like tell us what you're working on so that we have hope Mm. That we're not just sitting here complaining about Guy Pearce. Mm. That we can actually look at what you're doing and then give you feedback on that. Erin mm. means her specifically. Specifically me. I'm available <laughs> to be employed as a consultant for Beyond Blue or any other mental health organisation in this and country. And more than happy to be corrected on this. If there is a lot of, of stuff course. going on that we don't know about because we're ignorant, then please tell us. And I suspect some of that is true because... I don't do enough reading into this. And I'm like Stephen Fry, and I think Are that you? because I experience it, that's enough, that's all I need to know. Yeah. Sure do. I keep thinking, God, Erin is like Stephen Fry. <laughs> they are the same person. Basically. Misogynistic <clears throat> bastards. Yeah. I really should do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so those are the things I'm angry about. Hmm. And that you're angry about, evidently. You yeah. didn't even know you were angry about them. I've given you new things to be angry about. I would, yeah, look, I I sit on my anger until the moment I need I need it. I'm like the Hulk. Mm. The secret is I'm always angry. The Stephen Fry Hulk. And then you get me to talk about it. And people are like, wow, I'm just mm. really angry about that. <laughs> angry about everything. Mm. I'm a pacifist. Yeah. As you can tell. Mm. So, <laughs> Aaron's just breathing really heavily now. I think the point is that it's important to get angry about these things because otherwise people won't know why they're not the best way forward. Mm. Like if you just go, oh, they made that ad, it's probably not very helpful, but what can I do about it? Then they'll just keep doing it. I mean, you know, you have to have a level of public outrage to be able to affect any change, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to advocate for ourselves. You know, we have to be there going, hey, this doesn't represent me. I don't feel like you're actually making any positive steps towards something that's going to help me. And I know I'm not the only person who is experiencing this. Yeah. You know, it's very unlikely that I'm the only person having this experience. So I'm also therefore advocating on behalf of people who are also sharing this but who aren't speaking out or who don't mm. or can't speak out. That's a good thing. Like, it's not that I don't think Beyond Blue do good work. I mean, Jeff Kennett is questionable, but I think that a lot of the stuff they do is good. It's not that. It's, hey, guys, have you thought about these issues when you've been, when you made this campaign, did you consider the audience that you've got for it? Did you consider the way that they would respond to it? Did you think about how many people already know this? Mm. Maybe if enough people say that to them, the next campaign they make, 
will be better. You know, they will sit in a room and go, hey, how can we make this inclusive of people who have chronic conditions? Hmm. How can we make this inclusive of people who know they have anxiety but don't know what to do next? How yeah. could, you know, how can we make this inclusive of people who support somebody with anxiety? Well, when you care about something, you don't just blindly agree with everything about it. Yes. Sometimes caring about something means questioning it. Hmm. All right. Thank so, you for getting angry with me. You're welcome. Anytime. Anxiety ants. Scatter than all the rest. Scatter than anyone. Anyone we ever met. Which is no one because we stay inside all the time. Yeah. Like I met Erin. <laughs> That's enough. It is enough. How many more people do we need to meet? Uh, welcome to Anxiety Aunts, Erin. We have... I don't know if I remember how to do this. Oh, God. I have to teach you everything. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. Okay. So this month's question comes from Captain Sombrero. Nice name. Twitter, which is CPTN Sombrero. Yes. Um, Jeremy, our mate Jeremy. Good old Jezza. Jezza. I don't know if we're allowed to just call him Jezza. Though I am. Okay, sorry, Jeremy. Jezza. Uh, he says, hey, I actually have a question for your podcast. What? Good. I know, because that's what the segment is. That's so <laughs> good. Um, my boyfriend and I both suffer from anxiety slash depression, but both go through completely different experiences with very little overlap. Sometimes we find it really hard to properly communicate with each other about what's going on. We've been together for four and a half years now and our relationship is very strong, but we still struggle just as much as we did in the beginning, helping each other out. Do you have any advice for couples who are going through this sort of thing? P.S. Your podcast is da bomb. So he's accurate as well as questioning. <laughs> um, thanks, Jeremy. We're glad that we can be the bomb for you. I think he means me specifically. Well, I'm, I'm glad that Anna is the bomb. Mm. That's true always. I always am glad that Anna is the bomb. <laughs> at home, like, I'm so glad Anna is the bomb. I do sometimes think, I'm so glad Anna exists. <gasps> That's very nice. I do. Oh. You don't have to say it back because I know you don't. It's true. You can ask as I tell them all the time. <laughs> um, so this is a very good question that I will have very little to say on because I have not done this successfully. That's <laughs> why I'm single. <laughs> and available, boys and girls. I don't know why I said Just anybody. Boys. Pardon? Anybody. Yeah. I'm single, everyone. <laughs> I should a big wink, just so you know. I'll, uh, I'll make a gif, <laughs> an animated gif of that wink and put it on the show notes. Um, so, yeah, I don't have a lot to say except don't do any of the things that I do. Hmm. Words to live by. Words to live by. I just think that communication is really important. And so you've said, come on, communication is like the most important thing in a relationship. Um, I don't know what that was. It's just such a trite thing to say. Yeah. Um, and obviously saying it in a valley girl voice is what conveys that. Mm. So you said that you find it hard to communicate um, with each other about it, but you've got a really strong relationship. So that suggests to me that 
you do actually do communication mm, the rest quite of well. You probably communicate well. Yeah, communicating really well. And maybe there's something specific around the forms of communication you use when you're having a difficult period. Mm. Uh, it's disjointed Mm. Um, and I can identify with that because when I'm going through things I just don't talk about them Um, and people literally have a podcast to talk about them (laughs) but I I work myself up to that Um, Mm. you know what I mean like it's only really in the last six months where I'm like I'm feeling something I should actively try Mm. to talk about this with a person and it's mostly Anna and then I just (laughs) like like on Twitter DM, I'm just like, these are all the things that I'm feeling. I don't know what you're talking about. Here's a list just, of all the things. You don't, you don't have to respond to this because I don't want to burden you, but I just need someone to know that this is how I'm feeling. Oh, that is true. That's <laughs> fine too. Anyway, communication. The end. So I have a partner who... Oh, I have a partner. <laughs> Show off. You can have him if you want. I don't think he would want me. I don't think you'd want him. Um... So this, yeah, that's that's a really good example of how well we communicate. (laughs) No. So I have a partner who has depression and he has a chronic physical injury, which has exacerbated his depression. And we often experience depressive episodes at the same time, partly because someone being depressed in your house is very depressing. So it's hard to not feel the effects of depression when someone who, you know, is literally in the same room as you is depressed. It's really hard not to take that on. Um, We've been together for nearly 10 years and we have learned to better communicate how we're feeling. But the issue that we have is similar to what Jeremy has said, which is that we both deal with it in such different ways. Yeah. It's like my way of dealing with being depressed is to talk openly about it and to <clears> vent <throat> about it and to cry and to, you know, tell people that I need them to be nice to me and all these sorts of things. And his way of dealing with it is basically to shut down, to be quite, he becomes quite aggressive in other ways mm. where you can you just feel the effects of his depression seeping into everything where I'm much more overt like I feel really bad look at my face it's covered in tears that kind of thing and they're not compatible like I find that what he needs when he's depressed is the opposite of what I have to give and vice versa yeah and so we went to counseling to try to deal with this issue and my counselor said that one of the things that we could try was to email each other how we were feeling because it was it's very undemanding. Yeah. So if you don't go to someone and say to their face, I need a bunch of stuff from you right now, yeah. then it's much less, yeah, less demanding. So what we did instead was to then open an email and say, you know, hey, Anna, I'm feeling really bad right now. Here's what you need to know about the kinds of things that I'm feeling, but I don't want to talk about it or... I really want to talk about it when you're up for it in a day or in three days or whatever. I really need this kind of support. And that really helped us to be able to articulate what we needed because it takes more time to sit down and think about it and try to write it out. That helped us to better articulate what we needed and it gave each other breathing space to be able to kind of collect enough energy. Mm. And it meant that we knew that each other was dealing with stuff that we didn't necessarily know how to kind yeah. of move forward from at that point. That like, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and that was actually really helpful. Um, and I think the other thing is to look outside of your relationship yes. for support. So you can't 
get expect... everything from everyone no, from exactly. another person all the time. Yeah, and it's a lot to ask of someone who is depressed to also support your own depression. And I think it's easier in a friendship to be able to do that than someone that you're in a romantic relationship, especially if you live together. If you live together. Because that's all the time. Yeah, and it can affect the, the way the household runs as well. You know, like I can't be bothered cooking dinner. I'm too depressed to cook dinner. And also someone else is too depressed to clean the dishes. And so and it just spirals into yeah. this. So you need to have solutions that exist outside of the relationship, which might be, you know, your own mental health support, like your own psychologist or whatever, or it might be other people that you can talk to about it or both of those things. But yeah. To be able to extend the conversation of your mental health outside of your relationship. Mm. If you start to rely on, even if they were well, if you rely on them singularly for all of your mental health support, you're just going to destroy each other. Yeah. So I hope that's helpful, Jeremy. And if it's not, blame Anna. So be it. Turns out I'm not a relationship counsellor. What? Mm. Um, no, I thought that was really good. I'll take that on board if I ever get into a relationship again. I'm going to set you up with every man and woman I know. That sounds exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> it's not because I don't know anybody. Oh, right. Okay, cool. So I'm just setting you up with yourself. Nice. Yeah. I love me. It should be emotionally fulfilling. <laughs> Man, I'll shoot it out. Pew, pew. So, what's made you anxious? So I have a book coming out. What? I know. Why didn't you tell me? I know. I'm trying to keep it under wraps. It's a secret. Um, it comes out at the end of May. The 31st of May is its official release date. And frankly, it is absolutely terrifying. I keep waking up in the middle of the night with like thinking I've had a horrible dream that I have a book coming out, which I think I talked about last time. But the closer it gets to it, the more often this happens. Just like, this is a terrible mistake. <laughs> what have I, why is this, ha oh my God. Oh my God. So pretty much all the anxiety I have at the moment is around that because actually everything else is not really causing me any anxiety. Well, so, but good. that, that is all consuming anxiety, but it's nice anxiety. It's kind of this weird, it's just fear. It's just like, what if it, like, I'm really proud of it, but what if other people don't like it? There's so much of me in it. What if they hate it? Is that a reflection on me and not knowing I'm not very good at, I'm, this is going to surprise you. Not very good at waiting not very patient and so the waiting to know what people think of it is just very difficult for me to cope with shocking i know so i just google myself all day long to see if anybody has said they hate me lately there's a lot of stuff in it that i think is good it's just that it's terrifying to put that much of your you know your creative expression out to be judged which is a thing i'm just gonna have to get over but at the moment you've chosen the wrong profession if that's a yeah. thing that you can't get over and look and it it's not that at all because actually i really enjoy constructive criticism and i like to get feedback that will help me to improve and i like to get better at things that's really important to me um it's just not knowing yeah once i know people say i hate it I will obviously have an existential crisis and but you'll deal but with I'll it. I'll deal with it. Yeah, and I go well. This is how I can make the next one better. And I'm not going to take on every single little bit of criticism. But if you know the broad themes of the criticism, 
Yeah, that's but, something I can learn from, which is actually a gift. Mm. But I just have to like but get it to happen- it first. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet, uh, <laughs> and you don't know. You can't. You can't prepare yourself. No, I can imagine what people might say as much as I like, but it, it, I have no way of predicting it. Yeah. Anyway, so that's me. You. I decided that I was going to stop being anxious about my career. Mm. How's that working out? It's increased my anxiety in different <laughs> ways. <laughs> so I, like, I think I have definitely accepted that my career is happening and I don't need to pour every single piece of energy in my body into worrying about my career. Mm-hmm. I think that's a logical thing that I can accept. Mm-hmm. But actually letting go of it has made me group onto it harder. <laughs> like, I don't know if you know what letting go means. The idea of letting go of it <laughs> has made me group right. onto it a bit yep. harder. Um, so I'm in this weird space where I'm like, oh, yeah, no, it doesn't matter which direction my career goes in. You know, I'm already the level of success I expect it to be by the end of my career and blah, blah, blah. But now these are the specific directions I need my career to go in in mm. order for me to be happy and successful. That's control. <laughs> yes. I've let go of control. Oh, shit. No, I really like being in control. I better find other ways of yeah. being in control of this. And so I'm trying to... I'm cult- just going to psychoanalyze you. Yeah, well, I'm trying to cultivate these other priorities and directions and interests and things in my life, and I'm really happy with where that's gone, but I just can't seem to let go of this career thing and i know mm. i know where all that comes from all that sort of stuff but it just <clears throat> when you're in it it's shit and it makes yeah. me anxious yeah. and i don't want to leave the house but you came here to my house i did hmm. so you know you are even though you don't want to yeah it's good yeah anything else well i feel a lot of anxiety around stuff that i might need to do with relation to publicity and appearances right with the yeah. book. So I'm really good at public speaking, if I say so myself, but I'm fine. It doesn't make me anxious to get up in front of people and speak. That's not the part of it that makes me anxious. Getting to the places where I need to do that makes me anxious. And I don't want the commercial viability of my book to be compromised by my anxiety. That would be an extremely difficult thing for me to reconcile. You know, I've wanted to write a book since I was a little kid if my mental illnesses prevent me from being successful at it, that will devastate me. I'm terrified of that happening. Mm. More terrified of that happening than I am of the actual Mm. stuff I need to do. Um, I'm just realising this now. This is me having a revelation. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm I'm worried about what not being able to do those things means in the broader context. But I think the thing to remember is that even if you don't meet what you would hope for yourself, for the publicity stuff, still written a book that's been published hmm. and will achieve a, a level of success regardless of how many publicity events that you do because of the quality of the book and, and all of that sort of stuff. So I totally understand where you come from and I don't want you to feel like I don't validate that because I get it. But I think also just keep it in perspective. I think it's denial too. I think writing a book is something that I wanted to do before I identified as a person who had a mental illness. Yeah. And so I struggle to understand having a mental illness in the context of this thing that I've always wanted to do. Yeah. Like six-year-old Anna didn't have that additional concern. 
So I think I'm like, no, how can I have let my mental illness... It's that existential crisis thing again where Mm. these two parts of your identity haven't quite Mm. figured out how to talk to one another. Exactly. And that's a big challenge. Mm. And it's sort of me, do I try to just pretend to be somebody that I wish that I was in order to, like, make this part of my life work better? And believe that I am that person instead of this person. Then I'm like, well, which person am I? Oh, God. So I'm massive crisis mode. I don't don't understand why you would be anxious about that. That sounds perfectly reasonable. Yeah, like I definitely don't go into my psychologist's room and just start crying. (laughs) She definitely doesn't have to, like, drag me out from under the couch. (laughs) I might write more about that. It's been... Funny kind of dissonance. Yeah. I'm having a similar, I mean, it's not similar at all, but in the sense, <laughs> similar, what that has reminded me It's similar me of. in the sense that it's totally different. It's not totally different. But, you know, oh, I don't know whether you know this, but I'm a lawyer. And How many languages do you speak again? Look, just one fluently. Oh. Um, oh, fluently, I see. And that's English. Mm, no, English. <laughs> And a huge, huge, huge part of my identity is in the career and education kind of I've I've built and done and all that sort of stuff. And there's another part of me that's very interested in spirituality and religion and esoteric practices and, you know, just ever since I can remember I've been interested in what else is out there. Mm. And those are not two things that go together very well. Um... Says who? Says, well, says the law, really. The law doesn't, like, it deals in in practical Absolutes. black and white. I mm. mean, it, it's, it thinks that it's very good at the grey area and it is in intellectual pursuits. Mm. Um, but in terms of, you know, unknowns, it's not great at that. And people who are in the law are very serious <clears throat> and... You don't talk a lot about your faith and your religion and all of that sort of stuff mm. in when in as part of the law because it's the law is supposed to be completely separate to that. And of course, we know that it's not. It's completely, you know, Judeo-Christian and yeah. blah blah blah. But you know, like I think we think that we've moved beyond that. So for me to be looking at and thinking about and talking about. So when I was when I identified as a Christian, it was perfectly acceptable in my mind and to other people to be religious in that way and yeah, you can talk be a Christian. About it. You could be a Christian. You could be a member of a uh, established organized religion, but Scientologist? Probably not. Hmm. I mean, you probably could, but maybe don't talk about it at work. Don't talk about it at work. But to be to identify as spiritual or to look into new age practices mm. is very no no. No, no. Mm. Like, there's no logic in it. There's no, mm. there's no intellect in it, which I think is a total misnomer because when you actually start looking into and reading and learning about this stuff, it's very intellectually stimulating and, like, I'm finding myself quite challenged by some of the stuff that I'm mm. reading and doing, but it's not acceptable in that way. So I'm having a period of trying to, I, trying to combine or figure out how these two parts of myself can mm. coexist mm. without... Like being true to myself and being true to each part of myself, but without necessarily bringing them both into the same... The same self. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that it's a good textural combination. I think so too. Yeah. 
and that that should be something that lawyers should strive for. Yes, yeah. would be to, yes, in my lawyer life, I have to look at things in a more absolute way. Mm. But then when it comes to what happens outside of being a lawyer, mm. I can think of things in other ways mm. as well, and like use different ways of approaching and be flexible and exactly, you know, yeah, and, and I think nuanced that's true. and like being able to identify and understand grey areas mm. and being able to think about things in a way that isn't necessarily logical. If you try to think about everything in a logical way, you get miss a whole lot of stuff. Yes. There's a whole lot of things that can't be explained in logical ways. Yeah. So I guess it's similar in that way of there's these two parts mm, and you kind of, well, how do them. I make them work together? Mm. And how do I be true to one and true to the other mm. and not lose the other part of it in it? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And that, you know. Well, anxiety with that. Yeah, fair enough. I think probably a lot of people feel that way about lots of things. Yeah. I don't know because I don't interact with people. But I'm assuming. Assuming. Yeah. I think that's good. Hmm. I mean, there's plenty. I'm sure there's plenty of other things that have made me anxious since we last spoken. But I think that those are the two big ones. Yes. Yeah, I feel like I'm dealing with quite high level anxieties yeah. at the moment, like big you know. Yeah. And they filter down into things like having weird dreams. And <laughs> yeah. Waking up in the middle of the night and mm. yeah. Eating chocolate all the time. Not wanting to leave my house. Mm. Yeah. Talking oh, yeah. to your dog. Pardon? What? what? Something about talking? my dog? Talking to your dog is perfectly fine. I talk to Winston all the time. I know. I was saying how fine it is. He has no clue what I'm saying. I just, he's a dog and <laughs> maybe he does, but he just has no way of telling you because he has, has no language. Yeah. I'm trying to talk to him less because I understand that talking to them confuses them. So they're trying to understand what you're saying all the time. <laughs> he's like, I literally cannot understand what you're saying. I don't have the capacity for language. <laughs> Please like, I'm stop. listening out for the words that I yeah. know what they mean. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. So I'm just like. Yeah, I'm waiting for you to say walk. <laughs> Sit. I, treat. What What does I'm using you in place of sustainable <laughs> human relationships mean? <laughs> I don't think it's what quite that, that bad yet. No. Just having a joke. Yes. Sad joke. Sad joke about my I sad too life. No. I don't talk to my dogs much. Cats I talk too. to my cat. <laughs> yeah. I really do. I ask him a lot of questions about what he's Not doing. Not me. No, no, no. Hey, no, no. What's happening? And I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing, mate? Why are you doing that? Why are you sitting on the toilet? <laughs> it just looks at me like even if I could understand you, still wouldn't speak back to you. <laughs> I hope you die, preferably <laughs> later today. Like please never speak to me again. I hate you. And now I'm leaving. Your face looks like an asshole. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, I'm you're so adorable. It's like, fuck off. <laughs> Stop it. I'm like, no me. Anyway, so that was an episode. And several episodes, I think. <laughs> And so Anna shared with me a statistic that most podcasts die after mm. episode seven. So mm. technically this is eight, mm. even though we're going to call it episode seven. Yes. We've done this Fucking eight Fucking entitled douche canoes. <clears throat> yes. 
Mm. Um, so, success. We have to make another one after this, though, I think. Do you think? Yeah. Okay. And then another one after that? Probably. Like, maybe we could do ten. All up? Yeah. Yep. Do you have any plugs? I think last time I forgot to plug that I was on the Kobe Yoga podcast. Mm. Um, so, sorry to plug a rival podcast, but uh, my yoga teacher asked me to be on her podcast and I did it. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was quite good. Mm-hmm. I thought so too. Oh, thanks. No worries. Anna's written some things. No. Blog. Yeah. Well, I wrote about Stephen Fry. I yes. did some author Q&A Which stuff. Which were really good. I liked them. Thank you. They were fun to write. Mm. Um, and I'll be on the Just a Spoonful podcast next month. And I will also be doing a few other things that you'll be able to look out for and listen for. Mm-hmm. And you can pre-order my book. I'll put some links to pre-order my book. Because they're nowhere else on the internet. <laughs> no, I haven't talked about it at all. If you it's not like every time I go on Facebook, there's a post about it. <laughs> Just, um, <laughs> it's the best thing I've ever done. So I feel like I can post about it more than one time. Absolutely. Uh, so I'll put some <clears throat> links up. If you pre-order it, then they will ship it as soon as they have it. You can pre-order it on the internet or you can like go to your local bookstore and ask them to order it in and then they will give it to you as soon as they have it, which might be quicker, actually. So, Mother's yeah. Day coming up. Good Mother's Day present. Yeah, like it won't ship before Mother's Day, but you can give your mum like a receipt. And she'll be like, thanks, darling, a receipt. That's what I always wanted. My family does stuff like this all the time. Yeah, I do too. Here's a piece of paper. Here's a promise for a present. Yeah, here's an IOU. I owe you 18 years of being a good child. <laughs> it's I don't have that IOU because I was a good child. Mm. How peculiar. Mm. Yeah, so I'll put some links up to that. I'll put some links to your thing. And, and we'll link to the things that we talked about, obviously. Yep. So. Hoping people might have stopped listening by now. We'll put some of those funny things that we did at the end, though. Mm. Farewell. So long. Farewell. I was just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, Erin. Thanks for listening. Bye. Anna and Erin are not mental health professionals. This podcast is presented from their own personal perspectives as people who live with mental health issues. If you have a concern about yourself or someone you love, please contact a mental health professional for assistance. Please stop.